I was preparing this message over the Christmas holidays, reading through the book of Numbers. And I was thinking of the problem Moses was having leading the children of Israel through this barren land, two to three million of them, for 40 years. And all the grumbling and complaining. Some people call the book of Deuteronomy, or of the book of Numbers rather, the book of wandering. In many ways it could be called the book of murmuring. It's one complaint after another. And I was preparing this message and reading through the book of Numbers and reading some reference books. And it was that day that we had decided as a family to build a gingerbread house. And um, Stephen married Emily a, a year and a half ago, and Emily grew up making gingerbread houses over Christmas. And she said, would you like to make a gingerbread house? I said, yes, we will. And so a year ago, we made small little gingerbread houses. But after doing that and having so much fun with it, I said, Emily, this next year, we need to raise the bar and make something outstanding. We need to make something extravagant, something challenging. And so we decided to build a castle. We decided to build the granddaddy of them all. It's called Nuschwanstein. It's in southern Germany. It's the one after which the princess castle in the Magic Kingdom at Disney World is fashioned. That one is about a third the size of the original. Well, all year long we've been planning that. Our daughter-in-law, Joanna, looked up on the Internet and found a schematic. And it was one-third the size. No, it was 25% the size of what we wanted. We wanted one four times as big, about four feet long. Well, we began uh, building and assembling our gingerbread castle. Now, just hold on that slide. I was organizing a team of about ten. I was the general contractor on this project. <laughs> and during the construction, I heard five times, uh, I don't know about this, Dad. <laughs> Three times, honey, there's no way. Three times, I don't see how it will work. Once, why do you always have to take on such big projects? <laughs> and seven times, I don't think we can pull it off. I'm not sure we can do it. Well, we kept going. And that's what we ended up with. This one's done. <laughs> But if I had that much trouble for one day leading a team of ten with a beautiful kitchen to work in and all the goodies you want to eat, 
Can you imagine what it was like for Moses to lead two to three million for 40 years through the wilderness? To think of all the grumbling, the murmuring, the complaining, the armchair quarterbacking that he had to put up with during that journey. We come to the book of Numbers. Just to put it in context, Genesis, the book of beginnings, and the ruin of humanity. But the selection of a nation through whom a Redeemer would come. Exodus, the deliverance of that people from slavery in Egypt, Africa, to be a free people. Leviticus, the worship of that redeemed people. Numbers, the journey of that redeemed people. Sometimes we tune out, oh, the book of Numbers, I'm not much into math. You know, what do I need a book on trigonometry or algebra or calculus? Well, let me say there is some number counting. There's some bean counting, nose counting. Twice, in fact, at the beginning and at the end. But it's a book of journey. If Leviticus is the book of worship, Numbers is the book of works. The worship of the redeemed people of God and the works of the redeemed people of God. To get our arms around the book, we always give an outline. There's the three parts to the cadence of the book of Numbers. Section 1, 10 chapters. Section 2, 10 chapters. Section 3, 16 chapters. The first 10 chapters is the wanderings from just across the Egyptian border in the desert to Kadesh. Kadesh... Back to Kadesh is the second section. They make a big loop. Who knows how many years that took. Section 3 is the journey from Kadesh to the borders of the Promised Land. A journey that could have taken as short as two weeks. Forty days given a lot of potty breaks. But not 40 years. But yes, it took 40 years. We see numbers because God's a God of order. He likes to order according to tribes, and everyone is important, and so they all needed to be counted. They all were assigned particular responsibilities. They were given leadership and governance and provision. All of that goes on in the book of Numbers. You see the slide of the journey. From the fertile land of the Nile River Basin across the uh, waters into the desert of what is now really the Saudi Arabia area, down to Mount Sinai, up to Kadesh, and then a big circle, and then finally making it up uh, just to the east side of the Jordan. 40-year journey. But to see the next picture, the picture of the tribes gathered around, this is but an artist's rendering of a concept because the center was the tent of meeting 
where the people of God met God. And they lived around that central tent of meeting. But those tents would form concentric circles that would have a circumference of 12 miles of tents. All around the central tent of meeting. The five key figures in the book is Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, and Miriam. You see God throughout the book. Every time you read, the Lord said to Moses, and there are over 50 times the Lord said to Moses in the book, that's God manifesting His presence. Wherever you see the cloud, and the cloud was always there, but it's referred to dozens of times, the cloud. We're not talking about cumulus or nimbus or stratus. We're talking about a cloud of glory that they knew was the presence of God that rested over them. And this cloud at times would speak and God would manifest His presence continually out of the cloud. There's the miracle manna. There's the miracle quail. There's the miracle rod that buds. There's the miracle bronze serpent. When lifted up, they could be bitten and not killed by poisonous snakes. There's the miracle water from the rock. No, there's God manifesting His presence all over the book of Numbers. But what you can't get away from is the murmuring. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. It's where the murmuring begins. Now the people of God complained about the hardships and they did so in the hearing of the Lord. God was so present with them and yet the uh, insult was that God who was so present with them heard them complaining. Now, verse 1 of chapter 11 may not seem like much on a casual reading. Now, the people of, of God complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Well, of course, God's everywhere and He hears everything. But what this is saying is the God who had so saturated their presence with His presence is now eavesdropping on all the complaining going on. But can you blame them? Think about it. Sure, they had the miracle of their shoes not wearing out. I'd be complaining, but I know some women in the Hartley family who would definitely be complaining. I mean, imagine, honey, can I get a new pair of shoes? What's wrong with those? Well, nothing, but I've been wearing them for 40 years. I mean, I know a lot of women, if they go 40 days without a new pair of shoes. Come on, I mean, let's be real about this. I know some guys who are the same way. Forty years with the same... Well, you ought to be grateful they haven't worn a... Yeah, but I'd like a new pair. And taking a trip. You who have ever taken a road trip with children. The complaining starts before you leave the driveway. I know this. I have some very keen memories. 
I mean, okay, we leave at 4 o'clock in the morning. But I, I explain, you know, you can sleep for the first five hours. It'll be fantastic. The trip will go by so fast. Yeah. Oh, can I stay home? This is a bad idea. Starbucks isn't even open yet. The complaining. We're not even out of the driveway. And then six hours later, are we there yet? I'm hot. I'm hungry. I'm bored. It smells in here. It stinks. It reeks. How much longer? We're in a nice car. We're on a highway. It's only six hours. We're with friendly people. It's just us. Forty years. And need I remind us, there were no markers, there were no signs. You couldn't go to Rand McNally and get a Wilderness for Dummies book. You know, I mean, there was nothing out there. There were no footprints. There were no markers. This was all uncharted, uncharted territory. And there wasn't a blade of grass. There wasn't a tree, a bush. A flower. Now they had lived for 400 years in the Nile River basin. We're talking lush vegetation. They could get anything they wanted to eat at any time. And now they're in the middle of this nowhere. It's a, it's a desert. Can you blame them? Grumbling. You can just hear it. They grumble. They complain. We remember, this is verse 5, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. We could go to the Nile River and catch a perch. Oh, what I'd give for a perch. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Oh, stop! Now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna. Manna. I know God gives it to us, but can we have some variety? Can we have cheddar cheese manna? Caramel manna? Jalapeno manna. Vanilla manna. Chunky monkey manna. You can tell I'm breaking a fast. Wings, baby. I can't wait for my wings. Grumbling. Complaining. They lost their appetite for manna. And the Lord judged them. Thousands died. And then Miriam and Aaron even start grumbling. Chapter 12, verse 2. Has God only spoken through Moses? Hasn't He also spoken through us? 
and again, and the Lord heard this. See, that's the rub. When God is present, when His presence is being manifested, grumbling is that much worse. And immediately, Miriam gets leprosy. And Moses prays for her. Then chapter 13, we've got the spies that are sent out, and they come back murmuring. Verse 28, the people who live there are powerful. They're huge. And they've got huge cities. Verse 31, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they gave a bad report. We're like grasshoppers. Then chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Or in this desert let us die. Why is the Lord bringing us to a land only to let us fall by the sword? And our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And again, God judged them. You come to chapter 16. And Korah, who overheard this, we should get a leader and go back to Egypt. And Korah's thinking, oh, I could be that leader. And Korah organized the dissidents. The pridefully rebellious among them and organized a mutiny party to go back. And Moses says, verse 3, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Away from them. And Moses tells the people of Israel, Get away from Korah. Distance yourselves. And by the end of the chapter, Korah and his band are dead. And so are 14,700 others who wouldn't listen. Wow! What is it about grumbling that God doesn't like? There's something here that's serious. Grumbling. There's something about grumbling. We think it will make our burden lighter, but it actually makes it heavier. We think grumbling will make our aches and pains get better, but they get worse. We think our grumbling will make our trip go faster, but it goes slower. Because grumbling is an expression of a life out of sync with the plan of God. I remember taking the Experiencing God course with Dr. Henry Blackaby. Dr. Blackaby made the point that frustration, that he used to get frustrated because he used to, frustration is an expression that really my time isn't God's time. And I'm not submitting to God's time. And we excuse frustration. Well, that's my personality. I'm a go-getter. But 
The kingdom of God has go-getters that don't get frustrated because they're kingdom people and not renegade wannabe kingdom people. When we submit to the kingdom cadence of God, we can live beyond frustration. We can, all of us, live beyond complaining, beyond murmuring, beyond grumbling. You know that bumper sticker, visualize world peace. For a moment, would you visualize no complaining? Visualize no grumbling. What would need to happen for that to become a reality in your home, in your life? For you in your home, in your own thought processes, to have a day without any grumbling or complaining. What would have to happen? What would have to happen for grumbling and complaining to be gone from your family experience? From your home? What would have to happen for your life group to live beyond grumbling and complaining? Imagine having a life like that. Well, believe it or not, that is exactly what Jesus promises us. If we know Jesus, if we want His best in our lives, a life without grumbling and complaining is not a pipe dream. It is exactly what God has for every one of us. Now, when you think about it, and I spent a little time on this one this week. Imagine putting in an ad in a paper, Grumblers Wanted. Our organization wants to hire grumblers. We want to staff every department with a couple of good grumblers. Here's what the ad would say. No talent required, no education needed. No brains, no character. The worse your attitude, the better you'll succeed. The weaker your character, the better you'll perform. The more selfish, the more self-centered, the more prideful, arrogant, demanding, stubborn, easily offended, self-absorbed you are, the better you'll do at this job. Ooh, that's nasty. I must have been in a bad mood when I wrote that. I just had to say it. I had to get it off my chest. But it's all true. The problem here is that God doesn't like grumbling. That's not the problem. But there are three things that God loves. And here, fill in your notes, please. God is looking for three things. It's on the inside of your notes. Right-hand side, about two-thirds down. God is looking for three things in us. The first thing God's looking for is faith, trust. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to believe Him. And listen to me carefully. Nothing expresses our unbelief quicker than grumbling and complaining. Every single time 
Israel grumbled and complained. The issue was, you sinful, unbelieving people. Second, once we trust God, the second thing God's looking for is praise. Praise puts the spotlight on God. Grumbling puts the spotlight on us and our circumstances and casts a shadow on God. Let me say it again. Praise puts the spotlight on God. Grumbling and complaining puts the spotlight on us and our circumstances and casts a shadow on God. And God is never intended to live in the shadows. And if you don't want God to be pushed away from you, cease grumbling and complaining. If you want, on the other hand, to walk in the manifest presence of God, to walk in the cloud of His presence... Keep the spotlight of praise on Him even when it hurts to give Him the sacrifice of praise. When the spies came back with a bad report and grumbled and complained, it was not a matter of risk tolerance. We're big on risk tolerance in our culture. But when you trust God, the issue is not how big is the challenge, it's how big is your God. It wasn't that they saw things inaccurately, they came to the wrong conclusions. They did have big fortified cities and there were some giants in the land. That was true, but they weren't any bigger than God. And when the children of Israel grumbled and complained, that was not the big deal. The big deal is that they didn't give God what He deserved, and that was thanks and praise. The final thing that God wants that's woven through the book of Numbers and takes us to where we'll be next in the book of Deuteronomy is God wants our obedience. We see this in a very colorful story of Balaam in Numbers 22, 23, and 24. Balaam was a loose cannon prophet. It's the story of the talking donkey. How many of you have seen one of the Narnia movies and have enjoyed seeing talking animals and so forth? This is literally where C.S. Lewis gets the notion that there will be talking animals in heaven. And it's not as far-fetched as it may seem. Now, those of you that hope your cat or dog is going to be in heaven, uh, you'll love this. Numbers 22, Numbers 22, verse 28. The Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And she said to Balaam, (laughs) what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? What is weirder 
than a talking donkey is somebody who talks back. Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. I'd say, Balaam, you just made a fool of yourself. Balaam says, if I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right here and now. And the donkey spoke back. Am I not your own donkey, which you've already ridden to this day? Have I been with, uh, in the habit of doing this for you my whole life? Now, what I want to point out to you is that this is not God talking through the donkey. This is the donkey talking. You read it. Now, if the donkey had said, I am the Lord, what are you doing? That would have been the Lord talking. This is exactly the donkey talking. Have you ever had an animal that looked at you like the, do- like the thing could talk? Gives you that look. We, we, we've got a, the cutest beagle named Daisy. And this thing will look up at you like, you're not going to put me in that cage. We pack our suitcases. Daisy hates suitcases. You're not going to leave me. You can look over at Daisy. Just... They can talk to you. The only thing that happened here is God gave them gave this animal the ability to verbalize what they already say. So it's really not all that much of a stretch to assume that in heaven there will be animals that will talk. But what this is about is not about a talking donkey. It's about a disobedient prophet who was about to talk the wrong stuff. He was a loose cannon and he had his cannon pointed at the good guys. And God said with His sword drawn, How dare you? You can't go curse the people I'm blessing. Turn that cannon around and point it at the guy that paid you so much money to point it in the wrong direction. It's a matter of obedience. Now, as I draw a line under the book of Numbers, maybe it is about numbers. But it's about counting, not just noses. Number one, it's about counting on God. That's faith. God wants us to count on God. And if you're grumbling and complaining, I almost guarantee you, you're not counting on God. You're trusting in yourself. You're relying on your, your own strength. So number one, count on God. Number two, count your blessings. That's praise. Don't count your problems. Don't count what you don't have. Count what you do have. And number three, look at God and say, you can count on me. That's obedience. You can count on me. You give me an assignment, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. So maybe Numbers is about counting. Count on God 
count your blessings and tell God you can count on me. Praise God.